Hello, hello, everybody. How's it going? My name is Jordan Pacheco. And I'm Rudy Carlos. And we just keep kidnapping people. And this time we caught a big fish. This is the indomitable, <laughs> the one. I know, right? That's funny, huh? This is, <laughs> this is our good friend and fellow Catholic. This is David Gray. He is an amazing commentator. You can hear him also coincidentally on, on where Rudy is on Guadalupe Radio, as well as all over YouTube. And he has a website and books and just so many things. Uh, David, thanks for coming on with us. How you doing? Man, it is a pleasure to be here. I can't believe I'm on a glad tras, man. I love the <laughs> podcast. I've been listening for so long and I'm here. Well, well uh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm personally appreciative to you because I was on your show, uh, the David L. Gray show, which highly recommend there will be a link down below. Don't worry, audience, uh, where we talked back in Rudy and I's infancy, it seems like. So it's almost funny, like a year from now, yeah, we finally got early you on. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah, I remember that. That was um so I remember um, a lot of my subscribers went over to your channel and they um, they didn't even know you guys were there. And so they became so we had some cross pollination there. So that was great Yeah, for that, which gives us good, because this is a great way for you to be introduced to our audience of a bunch of cool jabronis, just like all three of us. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Your background's fascinating. I'm sure a lot of our audience members are really interesting. Some of them I already know know you. So just give us a little brief rundown. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. So um, uh the Catholic stuff. So, well, I'm from Northeast Ohio. All right. I'm not far from Cleveland, Ohio. And so the Catholic stuff, I'm a convert to the Catholic faith. Um, I converted back in 2006, by the way of, I would say I was agnostic and deist probably in my twenties. Um, I was conveniently agnostic and I was out of necessity sometimes a deist, just depending upon how things were going in my life. I was like, typically, I was like, well, I don't think you can prove there's a God. I don't think he's really noble if there is a God. He's definitely not interested in my life. But when things were going good for me or things were going really bad, I'd be like either, oh, yeah, thank you, God, or, or please, God, help me, you know. And that went on for quite a while. That's pretty much my 20s. But my main passion really was Freemasonry in my, in my 20s. I kind of always knew I was, was going to be a Freemason because just from my, my grandparents, um, my, my father, my stepfather uh, were Freemasons and my grandmother always encouraged it. You know, so mm. I didn't think I was going to have that opportunity until later on in life. But there I was in undergraduate school at Central State University undergraduate college and I had this opportunity to become a Freemason. Um, there were from some Freemasons on campus. They took like a liking to me. And there I was, and I was, I was just immersed into Freemasonry, just getting many degrees as I can, getting into the esoteric stuff. And that's really when I became more, um, I guess, solidified in my thoughts that Christianity definitely wasn't true, okay? Mm-hmm. And Jesus was fiction. He was made up because this is just kind of, what Freemasonry sort of breeds in you, this idea that um, indifferentism towards all religions, you know, there's really nothing exceptional about any of them. They're all kind of like a little bit of truth, but as Freemasons, we had the truth, right? So that's kind of where I was until I had this really profound encounter with God. It's a personal encounter when I was um, deep in depression, I felt like I was going to lose everything. There was nothing left to live for. I didn't believe in a heaven or a hell. So I decided just to commit suicide. It was better. That was a better option than to continue to keep living the life I was I was about to have with having nothing. And so I was in the process of committing suicide, 
trying to do it through asphyxiation, had a bag over my head, trying to suffocate myself, had a rope around my neck. And so I'm trying to turn this, um, trying to make it tighter by turning in the bed. And in about a second and a half turn, I hear a voice audible outside of me, just a voice, clear as day. And a voice said, I love you. I'm here. Just like that. I love you. I'm here. So, of course, it's a voice. And so you look around, see who said that. <laughs> right? That's a natural response. And so there was no one there. And so and, and so you ask the question in your head, like, well, what, you know, where did it come from? Who said that? Right. And the answer that just came back just out of nowhere was like it was Jesus. Jesus said that, which was a very strange answer for me, because, again, Jesus was fiction. Jesus made up. Mm-hmm. Um, Christianity was a white man's religion. <laughs> you know, I was, I was immersed into all that pan-Africanism also, by the way. And, and also as a Freemason, I was um, a district deputy. I rose up into the Grand Lodge, had some Grand Lodge offices. And so at this point in time, I'm the second highest appointed Grand Lodge officer in Ohio. And so as a deputy grandmaster, my district was Western Ohio. And so I used to enforce the rule in Freemasonry that you can't say Jesus name in the lodge. You can't say any church songs or anything like that. And so, um, so uh, I was not, I was very anti-Christian, very anti-Jesus, but there I was at the point where I deserved death. And for whatever reason, out of his mercy and grace, Jesus comes to me and gives me the only evidence I probably would ever accept it that he was real and he loved me. I could hear his voice. I could no longer deny it. And so there I was. And, and so, so I decided to follow Jesus. And I really didn't know much about Protestantism, all those different things they have there. But, you know, in America, that's just kind of where you land initially. Mm-hmm. And But it wasn't enough for me because my, my issues with Protestantism were still there. Like, there's too many things going on here, too many different religions. All you guys had a Bible, all had a Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. all saying different things. And so that was, it didn't make sense to me. And so um, I decided to go find what happened to the churches in the Bible and to become Catholic. And then, didn't think it, that's the church I was going to find, right? I thought there was going to be some sort of church in the Middle East. I would uh-huh. maybe fly over there one day, you know, some small recluse community that still holds to the truth. And you know, this is going to be this global organization with, you know, with all these strange teachings. Um, but there I was. And like I said, I didn't want to be Catholic because I never heard of a black Catholic. The uh, black identity was still very important to me at that time. You know, the, the checking off what it meant in America to be black. Right. And so um, black people are not Catholic, first of all. And so I didn't want to, um, you know, fall into that box of being a sellout. I was already becoming conservative. Mm. Being, being a Catholic was just not going to be another one of those things on the list. Mm. And so but. I decided to follow Jesus <laughs> and that's where I landed. And that's where I stayed. David, I, I wanted to ask you about your early conversion. Um, you talked about how the, um, the Freemasons have their own brand of truth. They, they say, you know, this is the truth and we have it. Were you attracted to the Freemasons because you were seeking out the truth or, or sort of um, a, a particular vestige of truth? I think I was seeking truth just, mm. just all together. Like what is true? And that's just something I just always yearned for. Um, and so I looked in various different places when I got to college to find it. Right. And so looked a little bit in the nation of Islam and then actual Islam looked a little bit everywhere, pretty much everywhere, except for, mm. you know, Christianity. 
And and so with the Freemasons, well, I found attractive about the Freemasons where I thought it was so it offered exactly what I was looking for at the time was that truth was is is it was Gnosticism. And truth was always there's always a door to find a deeper knowledge, you know, something, something more. There's always a door opening, a new, a new degree, right? Or a new house, right? It's just always something there. And and so yeah, that was definitely attractive. And also I found the Masonic, um, you know, we could call it um liturgy in a sense, the the how the public, well, not the public, but the secret work, the degrees, the pageantry, the order, the form, the tradition, mm. and um the how they um tradition was not something they played with, you know, like Catholics, we don't play off the dogma. The dogma is a dogma. I would say Freemasons, when it comes to their traditions, they they didn't play. There's no wiggle room. And so that consistency was something that was also was also attractive at the time. That's amazing because you know you're the first, certainly the first convert from Freemasonry that I know. Um, your story is extremely touching. What's interesting is that you talked about how this was this was kind of a familial thing. And so it's strange because a lot of times when we hear converts, we hear people who brought up the sort of Protestantism or maybe nothing kind of fell away. But because Freemasonry ran, you said at least since your grandparents, correct? Yeah. Uh, so it was so growing up before you were 20, was it just deism, you know, kind of agnosticism or were there other religious persuasions before your 20s when you really kind of fell deeper into it? I would say my my family was nominally Protestant, you know, whatever, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> but they they were very Protestant in the sense that everyone, all of them belong to a different Protestant denomination, right? So my grandparents, African Methodist Episcopal, that's um, uh, Baptist. Um, my mom was just different places. She was Jehovah Witness this week. She's Baptist that week. She's mm. just, you know, I remember going to Jehovah Witness temple with her, <laughs> you know, and uh, my, my, um, my father, Baptist, my stepfather, um, you know, he's he's he wasn't even a priester, you know, not even Christmas and Easter. He's pretty much just Easter and funerals. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You call that effer? I don't know. But <laughs> Eastern um, Eastern rolls. Yeah. Funer, but, yeah so, but as Protestants say, I was never churched. Right. I was never churched. I was never. Jesus Christ was never articulated to me. The Bible was never explained to me. Mm-hmm. Never read the New Testament. Um, I read a lot of the Old Testament when I was a Freemason. So I go to college pretty much just as blank slate the only book full book i'd ever read up until a point i left college was the autobiography by malcolm x and that's really what got me turned on into islam so mm. yeah i was um i was a sad case of someone who grew up in a very protestant family went to church a lot with my grandmother in the ame church but had no idea what was going on or why wow so you find yourself in in 2006 as you said is when you converted mm-hmm. so what was because that story, I mean, and now it seems like forever ago, right? I was I was 11, by the way, just for context. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 2006. Wow. I'm so, so sorry, I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but what was your journey? So you you looked through all these different churches. You were like, okay, Protestantism off. Orthodoxy even seems off. Um, once you became a Catholic, what was, what was kind of the next process? Because obviously you don't just like walk into a church and, and get it. And considering where you're at now, I'm sure that it was a fish out of water experience even more so. Yeah. And on top of that, I was I was in the middle of a prison sentence. 
So mm. backing up a little bit with the Gnostics, with, you know, that moment where Jesus Christ spoke to me and I thought I was going to lose it all. I was losing all because I made some bad decisions as an Gnostic, you know, so, you know, Gnostics say they, you know, they question God as he exists, but you know, in real talk, you're God and you're making your own rules. You know, you know, man left to his own devices. All we do is pretend to be God. We just pose God all day. Mm. And, that, and that's where I was. Um, embezzled a lot of money from my employer. Um, left the job, got caught for it, of course, because I left the job. <laughs> and but you know, is at that point in time, it's part of that story where I, I realized the life I was leading, I'm embezzling that money was not the life I wanted to live. Mm. And it was I was going to be. I felt like I was putting myself in a position where I wasn't going to be able to type, be the type of father I wanted to be. I knew what I was doing was risky, and so I did pray to God for the first time back in 2000. So that had to be 2003. I prayed to God for the first time that I remember. Um, got down on my knees and said that prayer that all atheists or Gnostics would ever say, you know, God, if you're real, that's how it starts off. God, if you're real, (laughs) Um, you should help me stop stealing this money. And sure enough, I go to work the next day. It was part of the, it was that day in a pattern. So I had to do these things in a pattern so I wouldn't get caught. And so it was that day where I had to wire money. And um, I go to the keyboard just like this. And I felt this sense of disgust like you can't do that it's like i mean literally disgust it's like vomit and then i was like and i had like a little conversion moment at that time because like okay because i connected out my prayer okay god maybe you are real <laughs> and and then i got a promotion out of that job like i said i left the job i became the auditor of the whole company which is weird and i'm in there i'm catching other people stealing money from this company which is like so funny but um and then so, yeah, so in 2006, yeah, I'm in the middle of this, this sentence. And um, so in, in prison, so I go to mass this way. So, I'm, you know, yeah, like I said, I'm, this Protestant thing isn't making sense. In, in prison, you still have all these denominations, which is surprising. 8 a.m. in the chapel, you have your apostolics. And then, you know, 10 a.m., 10 a.m. you have another Protestant group. Afternoon, you got your, your, your Lutherans or whatever. And I don't know what's going on. I, and, I, and and so um, a couple of things sort of led me to start thinking about Catholicism. One was this book by Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. And it's a fiction book, historical fiction, but it's, it was um, really Catholic in a sense. Um, and then I go to mass one day and I just hop over to the Catholic chapel. It's on another side of the, of the building. And I walk in that space. And I knew it was just completely other. And it's not like what other people people um, would often say. You know, it wasn't the bells, no bells, it wasn't smells. You can't smoke there. Well, you know, is is the plainest room you could ever imagine. It was only maybe 12 by 12, maybe very small, these wooden benches. There, there was nothing aesthetically pleasing about this whatsoever. But I tell you that when I walked into this room that's in a completely other, I knew something had changed when I walked into the space. I'm telling you the truth that it was just completely other. I knew that this place was sacred and I didn't know why. Right. And so that was my, my first mass. Um, and I still remember the, um, homily, um, from that day from father toner. And, um, so after mass was over, I spoke with Father Toner, and granted, I had received communion that day, so I didn't know any difference. But so, <laughs> I spoke with Father Toner afterwards, 
And I said, how do I become Catholic? And he said, well, I'll bring some books next time I'm here and we'll start studying. And, and then I said, am I supposed to receive communion? He said, no. <laughs> oh, God bless him. God bless him. <laughs> and, and now, now, now was, now was, that was it. So, uh, August that year, August 8th, I was, I was, con- I had already been baptized Protestant a year before in, in the Protestant chapel. But so August that year on the feast of St. Dominic, I was confirmed into the faith. So wow. yeah, that, that, was, that was my journey. Wow. Welcome home. That's amazing. Um, you, you see really the, the providence of God in all of your life there. Um, so just, just to be clear, you're, your rock bottom propelled you into the church and then you became Protestant. And then during your prison sentence, you became Catholic. Yeah, exactly. And, and also I would add to that, that Protestantism, I realized Protestantism was a joke and a fit. And it was like a failed thing for me because hmm. um, that I had, um, I had to get to this point, Rudy, where um I had opportunity where I thought I had an opportunity to, you know, I was adjudicating my case because I thought they over sentenced me. So I was adjudicating my case and appealing it. And, and, and um, so I go to the court this one day and I had, man, I, and, um, I, and guys, I had, I had really bought into that process and name and claim it. I had bought into a full barrel and I had claimed it. God is going to let me out today. I'm mm. walking around. I was one of those guys <laughs> walking around the prison with this Bible in my hand all the time. I was one of those guys. And I had, man, I had bought into this thing. Name it, claim it. God was going to let me out today. God didn't let me out that day. Your and I'm there. preacher. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm there on the yard, on a yard, holding back my tears. And one of my friends come up to me and he said, man, you can't be like that on the yard, man. You can't, you can't, you can't look like this. You look weak. You know, that whole thing. Yeah. And but I didn't, you know, it was really no anywhere else for me to go. But I was, I was just broken. And I realized that that theology was just, it was, it was failed. And mm-hmm. so that was another thing that's, that said, man, I, I, this isn't it. And so that's what, that's another reason why I started looking outside of Protestantism. Like there has to be something other, you know, so. Yeah, that's interesting. They said, you know, we just had uh, a Tasha on our, Tasha Torme on our show and she's a revert, but she talked about how she fell into kind of she fell into um like even real like evangelical fundamentalism for a time mm, and so yeah. we're kind of musing on like with protestant theology there are some out there that places kind of the emotional certainty right whether it's yeah. it's prosperity gospel or this is i mean this is very common like the black protestant church you know like oh yeah. like you know you speak of i think that there's a, a way that we speak of god at least they do it in protestantism there where he becomes kind of like a genie Mm. um you know like, yeah. oh you know my god's my god's gonna let me out today right my god's gonna do this for me you know yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. you know all yeah. that kind of stuff yeah 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 uh david you talked about earlier in the conversation about christianity or your perception of christianity initially was that um it was a white man's religion could you mm-hmm. maybe maybe uh go into that a little bit more yeah so so i went to a predominantly black university um so I, you know i was kind of Knew a little bit about the whole Pan African thing coming up in Warren, Ohio, a little bit. Will you will you just give a quick definition for our for our not plugged in uh, audience what Pan Africanism is? Oh, so um, 
oh man, I mean, real quick. Okay, no, so I know, I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, first, so yeah, it, it, so it's the idea that um, that blacks are, are a rightful place is not in this country. Is Africa, right? That's that's where we should be trying to get back to. We should have some uh, land there. We should go there. We see early advantages of that. Examples of that. Um, early slave, uh, early group of slaves and free men um, go to Liberia. Um, this is in like the 1800s or late 1700s. They go to Liberia. And that's why Liberia is like like it is today. They speak language, English. They have a flag that's typically American. So there's always this idea that even if we can't get back to Africa in this country, that's how we should be. We're Africans. Right. Which is odd because Africa is a continent. Right. Not a country. <laughs> Right. So, but, but yeah, and um, and, and so I have bought into the, the, this this notion that that part of that part of being African is not being Christian because the white man they stole us from Africa, and I'm using this language intentionally this this us because I just got out of slavery. I'm 400 years old right now, uh, so you know because all all that history belongs to you. So they they stole us out of Africa. And then when we got here, they took our language, they, they took our name and they gave us a new religion. We weren't Christians in Africa. You know, we were this, we were that. And, and so that's that's why, you know, that's so that's the rejection of Christianity. People who buy into that concept, which is not something a relic from the 80s is quite alive today still. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, so you have to reject Christianity because it's not part of what it means to be a real African and a descendant from the slaves in this country. And so that's why I had to reject. And so that's why I had to um, reject that. And uh, so it wasn't even on the radar just because for just for those reasons. So let's, oh man, so much, so much sauce to get into. So yeah, <laughs> here you are, here you are a new Catholic. Um, but it like the story doesn't end there because obviously you were, you were going to probably the new mass at the time or how did, how did that work out? What did your, how did you, how do you go back home and be like, Hey, by the way, I'm a papist now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I get, I get, um, I get released from prison like super early. And I, I think they gave me like a nine year sentence, which seemed like a long time. Um, but you know, I did like maybe what five, a little bit over half of that. Right. And so, um, yeah, of course, you know, in, in prison, it's the nervous odor, you know, it was, you know, there's nothing really going on, no Byzantine, especially nothing, nothing really going on there. Uh, so yeah, so I, I get out and so I go to, I start going to mass, you know, I'm back in Xenia, Ohio. Um, just really starting my life completely over. I have a bicycle first. I have, yeah, I think I have a bicycle as soon as I'm riding this bike to mass every day. And it's the first time that I hear music in a mass which is weird you know in terms of the music was horrible but i didn't know that until later <laughs> right I, you know i didn't i didn't like it because i was used to quiet and silence and reflection all the time mm. we have that yeah. i used to have before mass and during mass it's just completely silent all the time nobody's really talking to each other none of that so it's just weird getting out seeing this all this chattiness and this weird music and this priest who has like this stand-up comedy routine um and it's, ah, so man, will you, will you make a statement are you saying that mass in prison was better than than mass out out in the out in the wilds dude 100 percent. It's, it's, it's not even close it's not even close uh, it's 
is I would listen. I would go back now. Just experience <laughs> that. I would. I mean, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was. I, I would take that nervous odor over anything outside. Um, so yeah, but that's that's my experience. I didn't know any better. Um, I mean, when I when I was when I was locked up, I was reading books by um, heretics. But I didn't I didn't I didn't know any better. Um, but so, and I, I didn't even know Catholics, all Catholics didn't believe the things written in the catechism. Mm. I had this, like this just idealistic view, like, okay, they're Catholics. Everybody believes in the Holy Eucharist. There's no changing this dogma. You just can't pick and choose. This isn't Protestantism. Here's a dogma. Everybody believes it. So, and so this is 2010 and more time goes I'm starting to hear things, you know, this real Catholic TV that started calling itself church militant later. And I'm, you know, it's, I'm getting exposed to all these different things. I'm like, I'm, I'm just blown away. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's just a little bit, this little bit disappointed as well. Right. I thought Catholics were different people. I thought they were set apart people. And I didn't think it was all this, this political, political left and political right in the church. It was really disappointing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but as time goes, I'm also discovering that, oh, wow, there's other masses. And, and so I find in Dayton, Ohio, there's a Melchi Catholic church that, uh, okay, first of all, again, I hadn't really, hadn't really broken free yet of the checking off the listing. Like, okay, this is what it means to be black. So first of all, I'm trying to find a black Catholic church right. and then when I find one, it's a Protestant church basically. So I, I wasn't <laughs> wow. interested in it. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was, it was, that was even more disappointing. I said, what is this? And so then I started looking um, East and I find a Melchi Catholic church. And I just, it was like, it was like a, it was like a second level. It was like falling in love again. It was like the first time I went to, mass in in the prison i just knew that the space was other and here i was again at this melkite catholic church um and it was other and i just i just fell in love again it's like is it all over again yeah. i my my faith was just well, not, not my faith was just my love of the liturgy and the otherness was just replenished and restored i was happy again so that's where i was and i and i wondered to that wondered to this day what would have happened if I went to an FFSP um, church or, you know, another, you know, traditional Latin mass? It might have been the same, I'm sure, but um, it really didn't. So when I finally did find a traditional Latin mass, it was kind of too late for me. I had already fell in love, fall in love with Eastern liturgy. Right. You know, I, I appreciated it. I, I loved it. It was still other for me. I was like, wow, this is amazing, too, when I went to my first traditional Latin mass. But it was just a little bit too late. Have fallen in love with the East, so that's that's yeah. beautiful. And you know, I love um, you know we talk about the East and the West as the great lungs of the church. And um, mm-hmm. you know, I think uh, your channel. Oh, we'll, we'll get to this in a nutshell. But you, your channel has some of the well, some of my our favorite stuff on uh, on criticisms or just going through the liturgy of different <laughs> Novus Ordo churches <laughs> and um, and sometimes ruffling feathers. Uh, we'll get there, but. You know, I, I love how for us, Rudy and I, we we grew up Roman Catholic, right? So we've always been in the West. And then mm-hmm. for us, it was it was a, a reintegration of our patrimony to come fully into Latin Mass. We were just like, oh wow, this is the Mass that converted like the world, and this is this. And, and the East has so much patrimony too. Um, 
and especially with you know i know we're talking about with the checklists and stuff right um but you know there the east has so much beauty with with so many different peoples and yeah. i i'm happy i i meet you know byzantine catholics i always call kind of like the like you're like you know they're sisters for a reason you know it's fun to pick and prod but at the end of the day like you know you love your sister and uh <laughs> and they're way better than your they're way better than your deformed cousin who was uh created by a committee in a lab and who, uh, who pretends to be the best cousin you know <laughs> oh that's so funny yeah that's a good description <laughs> so you are a byzantine catholic that's accurate to say um, yeah, I, I would say i, I never when I was in, when I went, when I moved back to Ohio, or I moved back to Warren, that was where I went to mass most often. But I never made the full switch over um, for a couple of reasons, you know. Um, and I guess I was really debating between there's a church in Youngstown, Ohio called Saint Dominic. Right, it was a Dominican, Dominican Fathers Church. And I have become really good friends with a, a priest there, the father there. And uh, we started doing a lot of work together in the community and for promoting Father Gus Totem Cause. Mm -hmm. And that Dominican parish was the most reverent Novus Ordo I haven't ever experienced in my life. So I had community there and people who I was working with and people who felt like I felt like they um, wanted me to contribute to the life of the church. And I, I wasn't getting that, you know, at the, the, the Byzantine I was going to. I know that's a silly reason not to switch all the way over, but also it's an, it's an important reason I felt not to, right? Because I felt I was doing, um, following my calling there. I was getting close to, I was also discerning my vocation there to enter into, you know, religious life. And so the Dominicans were helping with that. So, and then, of course, when I moved there, Northeast Ohio has a lot of, um, you know, it's a big Lebanese community. It's a lot of people from that. So you have a lot of different Eastern churches there. Even you have a lot of Orthodox as well. So when I move away from there, I moved to Columbus and then, then to St. Louis. Um, it really wasn't that, it wasn't definitely in Columbus, it wasn't that many opportunities. Um, um, I would say I, I didn't, it was still the same thing, I would say was going to church there a lot to bid another bit milk no Byzantine and the Melkite there. But then after after liturgy was over, no one spoke English. <laughs> and so and so it was still like, man, where's you know, I still didn't sense that community. Yeah. And then still um so here I'm in St. Louis. So it's you know the state in a sure way, yes. When I'm not at my parish on base, you know, because we're here for this um, Air Force right now. And so when I'm not on base, you know, I have to be there, have to teach RCA there. But when that's all over, students confirm the Easter during the summer and the spring, you know, when that's over from there until about September, we're in St. Louis at a typically at a Byzantine. Um, they have a couple there, either, you know, bouncing between those typically. And sometimes we would also go to um, the oratory, we would go to the, you know, there's a couple of Latins there we go. So we're bouncing around in the summertime, in the spring, in, in, the, in the older traditions. So I, I wonder if I'll ever make the full switch. I don't know. Oh, but, it's um, too boring to stay in just one. You got, you got all the beauty there, right? Stop. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's true. And, and, you know, like Rudy can speak on this, right? Because we, we, we talk a lot about um, authentic Catholic community and mm -hmm. especially with like liturgical reclamation, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we did an episode on that not too long ago. We had a, a one of our Patreon subscribers ask us the question, well, like, how can we create a community at our church? It's lacking, um, feeling like the Protestants do it better than we do. Yeah. And so we, we answered that question. We gave them a few pointers as to how to start it. It turns out it was a newer community. And um, he ended up messaging us, I don't know, maybe like last month, right, Jordan? Yeah, for uh, that, yeah. And he was saying, well, now the community is alive and we love it. And <laughs> oh, community is such great. an important aspect to our faith, right? Because we, we live in a secular world. Oftentimes we're surrounded by secular people and we need those people who are journeying yeah. with us together towards Christ, towards yeah. saving their souls. Um, I wanted to shift the, the conversation though, to, um, to race, because you had mentioned, uh, um, you would racist. Yeah. I'm a racist. How's <laughs> that working out for you? Take clip, <laughs> clip me out of context. I'm a racist and I, I would like to know why <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious. Um, you know, you talked about checking off a checklist, mm-hmm. you know, I, I need to be this, or it needs to have this or this and that. What was the process for you to shed that? And, and do you still have a, a, a sort of outlook that's similar to that this day? Hmm. Hmm. And that's a great question. I wonder what did cause me to shed it. It was, it was definitely a gradual shedding. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it wasn't like it's no epiphany moment, me just waking up and realized that um, you know, I go to the, do the sort of, um, a Descartes thing where I'm just reevaluating, you know, where everything I received, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that, but it, it was sort of a gradual awakening to realize that, um, that I'm Catholic and I want to live my life as a Catholic and then realizing that there was nothing about my skin color that was salvific. And, and so had I never become Catholic, I'd probably still be where I I was being a race essentialist, being, believing that my race was the most essential, the most interesting thing about me that I saw how I had to see the world that was my lens. And so um, being Catholic and really trying to live a life that um, I think models, trying to model, you know, the lives of the saints is what really helped me become a Catholic essentialist. I just, I just want to be Catholic and live my life through a Catholic lens. So it, it was a gradual. So like, so that's, um, so I'm in Columbus in 2000, I think 15, and I'm still dabbling with the black Catholic churches, still trying to check off that box, still trying to be black, you know, as if a color is a skin color is a race, still trying to do that. And, um, and, and so I would say, so, so from 2015 to probably 2017, in that two-year period, I think I had a lot of just personal growth in trying to live my life in an authentically Catholic way and, and um, trying to live my life in a way I think um, would um, be the type of way that some of my, my saints who I follow would live. I sympathize with that a lot, actually, because when I was younger, you know, growing up in public schools, um, you know, it wasn't as severe as it is now, but there, there was a, a sort of cliquish nature or an emphasis on race. And I never felt that I had uh, a place to fit in, 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and being, being a Latino, I was like, well, I don't, I know I'm Latino, but um, I don't know what that means. I don't really identify with that. And then kind of psyching myself into thinking that um, other people were viewing me as other man. Yeah. Put me, yeah. It puts you in a, in a really weird space and yeah. you're, you're trying to, to kind of find yourself. Uh, one of the beautiful things about the church is, is like you mentioned, you know, our identity is not on our skin color. It's, it's that we're Catholic, that we're baptized, that we have received our sacraments of initiation, that we, yeah. you know, we're seeking Christ. It's so beautiful uh, to, it's liberating. It's li- it's beautiful and liberating to, to become mm-hmm. Catholic, to become a Christian. And you sound a lot like me too, um, that I was honestly, I was always a poser. <laughs> I was, I was always a poser as, 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 as a, as a black person, I was always a poser. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't it just it wasn't how I was raised. Um, I think, you know, my, my mother, um, you know, mother, father never married, but my mother did marry um, afterwards to a guy who, you know, he had done well as a man. Right. He didn't live. He lived in a neighborhood where I was in school, you know, neighborhood. I was the only black person in school, maybe other two other black people in class with me. And I, you know, and um, I see Jordan shaking his head. I know his experience is as well. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. and so, but at the same time, I keep hearing, you know, let's take a quick story. You know, when I was, um, even though my father, he had stepfather, he had lived his life, you know, he at some point in time, he realizes that I, his stepson isn't black and is, he's not happy with that. Hmm. And so he walks into my room one day, throws away all my kiss albums Um I had a Fonzarelli poster on the wall. He tears that down. He actually started asking me strange questions about who looks more like an animal, white people or black people. I mean, just, just these. And so he, he, he makes me his project to make me just this black person. And it affects me. He, st- he starts taking me to where he grew up um, in these, um, in that, not even where he grew up, where his friends live at, actually. <laughs> you know, to, this, to these projects yeah. and starts me out every weekend. I'm playing in the projects, right? And it's just a failed experiment, but it affects me. It affects me for what the next 30 years it does. Yeah. And um, it's part of me doesn't want to disappoint him. Maybe, maybe some farther wound there, but I'm really, this is why I go to all black university. This is why I switch high schools to mm. this all black high school. This is why in, in, when I get to college, you know, um, you know, I joined the blackest Greek letter fraternity there is. Right. And so <laughs> It's just it's just one thing after the other for the next 30 years and me trying to satisfy that um, I'm not black enough and always knowing in the back of my head, you're posing, <laughs> you're posing. <laughs> that's, that's that's such an interesting thing, um, because that's that's thank God it wasn't exactly my experience. But of course, as you guys know, like I'm adopted, um, so I was adopted by Hispanic parents raised in an extremely culturally or just a very white kind of part of the world, Hicktown, Illinois farmland. And so um, my other siblings are adopted too. So my older sister, my eldest sister is she's white. And then my two little siblings are black. And then my nephew is white. And so, and my parent, my grandparents are Hispanic and same shade as me. Right. So uh, growing (laughs) up, it was weird because I never, you know, you hear people kind of triumphantly beat that they don't see skin color, but really growing up in that kind of household, I 
you know, if your if your stepfather had posed a question to me, which one of these looked more like an animal, I'd be like, I don't know, it depends on how much we've had to drink. <laughs> you know, like um, I was more, I was, I was, you know, my family's was was American, very American, Hispanic, and um, and so I remember like my my dad once when I was in middle school, uh, I just started playing trumpet, and he was like, well, I think you know, it'd be kind of cool if you want to like you know know something a little bit more culturally black so to speak and so he got me um miles davis kind of blue and greatest hits of louis armstrong and they mm. saw my jazz evolution but growing up it was crazy because i had friends good friends of mine who would say you know jordan you talk and you act white and i oh, to this and yeah you know it and and as all of us you know and i i hated it i hate i still do because i realized i was like you know i think about great black people that I've known in history. I, these are, I have like, you know, I just for the heck of it, because they're cool people. I like Buffalo soldiers and mm. MLK and all my, all my jazz aficionados. Um, and if you go back and you look at their tapes, there's not like a, <laughs> they're there. I discovered later, right. That it's American, you know, I discovered that it's just, it's just, it's And so the first time I went overseas when 2015, I went to Scotland and um, I wasn't, I wasn't black there per se. I was I wow. was a Yank, right? I was I was I was an American. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I had I had a very I have to I have to watch my ad. I had a very attractive Czech waitress tell me that she liked my accent. <laughs> I have to make sure wow. Jen doesn't burst in wow. and punch me in the face. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's funny, like you know, this country. Um, and you you talk about this so much on your channel, David. Um, it's it's some of the freshest content, especially with the Catholic lens out there. That um, you know, man in the image of God race as we kind of think of it doesn't exist god looks at us you know as either you're either you're in the family or you're out of the family but there's not these separate places in heaven for blacks and whites and broken down irish and italians and, and ethiopians yeah. and, and zulu and all that kind of stuff you know and so it's amazing yeah. that that's such a preoccupation down to even religion uh, especially with a, a faith as universal as catholicism yeah, and we miss this so we miss the mark so much, you know, because culture is beautiful, right? Yeah, ethnicities yeah. are beautiful. I mean, yeah. there's a lot, you know. I mean, Catholics we understand culture better than anyone else, but to we we fail at culture when we make culture this this thing that divides us rather than brings us together, and we make this, especially in America, we make we made skin color as a whole race. I mean, who ever heard of a white race? Who's ever heard of that? Until the last, you know, few hundred years, that's, nobody's heard that. People heard of Italians, so... Caucasians, mm -hmm. Germans. Wouldn't nobody even heard of um, calling the whole um, skin color people by their skin color, Negroes or blacks, yeah. or even calling the people by a whole continent. Mm -hmm. Africa has like was at that time back then we'll have thirty-seven different nation states, but you're going to lump them all together and call them mm -hmm. Africans. It's it's just the strangest thing, and I don't even know how do we get to the point. Even in, in even the political space, they have this something called white working class voter. What is that? Mm -hmm. Who made this up? <laughs> but they perpetuate the problem. It's all about division, and I hate it. Yeah, yeah. There's um, you know what's funny is I, I did a historical deep dive. A couple of really good videos on YouTube talking about how did the how did the Romans see race or people look different and Romans are cool. So our idea of as your as your point out skin color as we think of it is it's a relatively modern invention. The Romans were the best examples I think are the are the Greeks right. The Greeks had Dacians north of the river and who were lily white 
And they were like, yo, those guys are barbarian. They wear pants and they say bar, bar, bar. <laughs> you know, the Romans, the Romans had this whole catalog, if you will, of, hey, because um, how people looked was often tied to geography and therefore culture, they just discussed everything like that with culture. Like, okay, like these are the Germans, these are the Ethiopians, these are the Egyptians who were conquered by the Greeks who did this and this. And they just were more concerned about your culture and your and your outlook that way. That's why when the, um, you know, when all like the Vandals and all the Germanic migration started, they freaked out because these people look like us. No, because they keep swearing pants and saying bar, bar, bar. (laughs) (laughs) And that's beautiful. And so it's like, it's, it's amazing because I read and nowadays, especially, you know, this whole, there's critical race theory, there's, there's push of like marry and interact inside your race, you know, and all this other kind of stuff. And, and when you realize like the banner is the most important thing that we can do is our relationship with God everyone's you know it it completely changes it you don't have to fake it till you make it by the <laughs> virtue of what you look like on the outside yeah you know that that brings you a, a, another question to mind um obviously within the catholic church when the church talks about not having a mixed marriage they're not talking about race they're talking about religions right um but i can't help but think you know a marriage within within the church as long as two people are strong in the faith you know, that's always going to be good. But what, what's your take on um, two different cultures? I mean, again, I mean, race has a part, part of it. Well, does it or not? Skin needs to be a little more geographically tied. Right. So what would you say, like two different cultures coming together? Do you think that would be a good idea? I, I think, um, I mean, of course, there's some, there's a lot of rub there. My friend mm-hmm. um, Bobby Hesley. I mean, he was, I think he's close to being engaged to a woman who's a Chaldean. Of course, he's a Latin mm-hmm. uh, Roman, right? And um, and I know, I know there, you know, he could tell you the story better than I do, but those those examples of two different cultures coming together, at least they had the faith in common. But True. there's, um, you know, he talks about how even with the, you know, with a Chaldean Catholic, it was just, there's a lot there, you know, because you're talking about different family traditions. And so it takes... I, I mean, I definitely believe if that's the person who God has called you to be with, right? I think there's enough grace there um, that you can see it through. But I think, in at least in the early phases, right, there's going to be a lot of stuff to work through, and it's going to it takes a lot of patience, right? So I, I wonder. We we just went to a wedding where, technically speaking, there are two cultures. We had a um, first generation Assyrian, so his you know, parents are, or he's from actually mm-hmm. the mainland even. Uh, he did the most American thing that he could think of, which is that he married he married a black girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's and, funny. And it was funny because um, <laughs> you know how it is. Like it was funny because I'm sitting there and I I remember um, when they were when they were courting and everything, and I was like, you know, I gotta tell you, buddy. Um, I kind of cool, but like, why? And he was like, he was like, he was like, he's like, every Assyrian girl looks like my sister. And I was like, that's, that's fair. Welcome. This is, this is the, you, you know, go. the, the beauty hilarious. of our country is, and especially in the Latin mass, that's something that, that really interests me. You know, I, um, I'm, I'm astounded by critics of the Latin mass and they're terrible attack or and not just Latin mass, you know, it's growing because there's so many people going in to be Eastern refugees, um, mm. especially in the wake of garbage liturgy and traditionalist custodes and other Latin mass parishes shutting down. Um, 
people say, oh, well, you know, the problem with the Latin mass in particular, the problem with tradition is it's a white right wing kind of thing. And especially as a traditional Catholic, I'm like, okay, well, let's get this straight. So I'll start backwards, work my way forwards. Right wing, I'm, a, I'm like a, I'm a traditional monarchist. I don't know where that register is quite on the spectrum there, fella. Uh, you know, but like this idea that like there's like the Latin mass or tradition only appeals, like thank God for the Novus Order because now every man in every language and every way he looks can be incorporated in the church. And beforehand, the church was so terrible and miserable and and there were no rights and your priests had mm-hmm. to be from the Snow Whites of Sweden or something. Uh, yeah, 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 it's, it, it, I, I don't know how you get from there to there. It's, you know, as someone said a couple of years ago in a political space, there's no there there, right? You have to take so many illogical leaps to come to some sort of conclusions that the traditional Latins are a political group, right? And that is just a bunch of right wingers, a bunch of proud boys going to mass, this this whole thing. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's propaganda and we know where it comes from. And is is you know we have to do something about these political ideas just invading the sacred space, right? And there's this, but that that's that's part of the de-evolution, and why it seems to be that I mean that we're just living in just a post-truth society where truth just doesn't matter anymore, um, and people are more interested in, in getting salvation out of things like a you know you know, this injection or this, this, this election, you know, is, 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 um, I don't know how we turn back the clock to people discovering the sacred space and, and respecting the sacred space and not trying to make a political space out of it. It's, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Rudy, do you know, do you, you know what the funniest thing in LA is? You ever gone to mass where it's three languages? And not just like cool ones yeah, like Greek or yeah. Arabic with Melkites or whatever, like just like. Uh... <laughs> I remember going to uh, a group rosary one time at a church and um, the priest there, I think he meant well, but, you know, he, he was like, OK, for the five for the five decades, we're going to have five different languages. And it's just, I don't know, like going through the whole motion of it, it's just it didn't make sense. And then, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So when. When I went over across across the uh, dare I say the Tiber day across the Tiber <laughs> to traditional uh, to the traditional Latin Mass and understanding why the language of Latin being a sacred language is so important and and really a universal language I understood you know looking back I don't know you know that's just it seemed so it seemed like um what's the word it seemed like uh, gosh the word is escaping me. A novelty. Hmm. It seemed like a novelty. You We're know? so you're so trapped that anything that has to do with new, we can't even can't even articulate. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I look. I, I was up at two in the morning today. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> it's almost my bedtime. <laughs> um. Wow. Yeah. So. So you're still going to the Chaldean Mass, um, or the Chaldean liturgy because they don't call it the mass is that your 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 sunday your typical sunday you go to the chaldean divine liturgy um typical typical um you know we're on on base at a on, um a mass on base um because it's you know it's, it's right here 
in in Belleville, the Belleville Diocese, you can't find anything. You have to go to St. Louis. You have to cross the river to find anything hmm. before, um, um, you know, 1969, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> oh. so yeah, so, so I'm on, I'm on, um, Plus, I teach RCI, RCI on base. My daughter, you know, she just got confirmed, so she's there going hey, to class. Wow, congratulations! You know? So yeah, that's our that's our main community. But yeah, but when um Easter Easter the Easter uh, vigil is over, that's when we head back across the river. We do mm-hmm. you know, we do different things. So well, I'm I'm just thinking of Rome now, and I I just wanted to get your take on on what you thought about the, uh, you know, the emphasis, like, for example, the most egregious thing that, that comes to mind was the, the, uh, the Synod on the Amazon. And -hmm. you would see this like overemphasis, almost like ham handed in a ham handed way, like slapping you in the face with, you know, Amazonian culture, like Pachamamas and like all this kind of crazy stuff. What's, what's your take on that? (laughs) like this i'm sorry let me articulate the question a little bit what's your take on 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 churches really being ham-handed and bringing these different cultures into the mass oh my i mean where do we start with that um my bad yeah i mean (laughs) i mean this idea that in, in enculturation means bringing in the most entertaining thing about culture, I think, I think is, is, is racist itself. I think, I think anytime, and this is what people, you know, we, we call them the political left. This is what they, 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 they tend to do, right. Um, that they'll, they'll find, Oh, come dance for us. Come show us your culture by dancing for us. And so you see all these things you've seen this in California. You see people now Plastic bringing dancers. in these, <laughs> these things, you know, from, from these cultures, come dance for us and, 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 you know, come, come do come show us your prayer. We go to the East and the West and the South. It, it, it's always the, 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 the entertainment factor that they're most interested in with this so-called enculturation. And you see also, you see it in, in um, the historically black Catholic churches as well, that they, they, they consider this, let's say enculturate um, our tradition, our black culture into the mass. What they really mean is Protestantism. Let's sing some Protestant songs. Let's do, let's, let's praise and worship um, <laughs> quasi dance. It's, it's just, the, it's just the lowest common denominator that they seem to be interested in. And that's, that's not an in, enculturation, you know, culture is a much broader thing. And I think sometimes we want to romanticize culture. Culture also has bad things as well. There's some bad things people have in their cultures, but yeah. we always want to romanticize it. Like, Oh, culture is, 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 is always good. No. And, and culture has so many different qualities in it that what, what the Catholic church tends to mean by enculturation is seeing what's essential in that culture in, in terms of how they approach God and seeing if that's actually compatible with how we approach God. Is it, does, it, does, that, does that thing really orientate us to the divine? Does it orientate us to Calvary? And if it doesn't, if it, orient, if it sends us in a different direction, then it's, it's not something that can be brought in, into the mass. So we see a lot of these things, especially this thing that they're doing. I see a lot on the West Coast. And then I talked about a couple in my mass nightmare episodes, this praying <laughs> to the four winds of heaven. Oh, yes. Is, oh it's, yes. It's just, I mean, it's witchcraft. It's not, that's yeah. not culture. 
that's that's paganism and it doesn't it doesn't contribute to our salvation so yeah that which well that's such a perfect thing that's because horrible. i i love mass nightmares and if you can give us just an overview of what is mass nightmares i think so again <laughs> your your channel is linked below don't worry checks in the mail whatever uh, but uh for for our audience sake uh one of the one of the one of the highlights uh of david's uh channel i love is something called mass nightmares and i'll let you i'll let you take it away i mean they're they're awesome <laughs> It started out of nowhere last summer, I think last spring. I wanted to talk about this liturgy at St. Sabina in Chicago with Father Flager. And I wanted to just mock it and laugh at it and turn into a joke because it's not Catholic. I don't even feel bad about it. <laughs> and, and so that's how it began. And it started, it got, it got really catchy. And so I started doing it once a month or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we, we see, so people send me these videos now of, David, you have to talk about this liturgy. This this is a nightmare. So I, I upload it on live stream and I play the mass and I comment through the whole thing. And on this screen, I have what's in red and black and we're comparing and we're seeing is the is the black being said and is, is the red being done. And then we grade it at the end. And so far, it's been That's all hilarious. F's. No, no one, no one has, has passed. Well, and so it's very reminiscent. Uh, we had we had a, a, a very good, uh, good compatriot, Charles Clome on our show a couple of times. He wrote. A, a, yeah, a, um, now he's he's a monarchist, right? Yeah, well, he's uh-huh. a, yeah, he's that's like his. Yeah. Brother. yeah, yeah, because somebody somebody met someone when I was um in Baltimore speaking there. And the guy said, oh, you got to talk to him. You got to talk to him. And, you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not so I'm not I'm not the political guy to be like, oh, you got I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sold on the whole political thing here in the United States. It's two party thing. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not on board with Same. it completely. And so, I, you know, I'm sniffing around the whole monarchism thing. So. I, it's, you know, talk to Charles. It. Yeah, Charles is. We had a whole episode <laughs> on monarchy, monarchy with him. And what's very funny about it is, um, I it, it's like uh, we think about it with politics. Um, Rudy talked about this just a little bit ago, right? It's like you know, there's this incentive. It seems that. In in democracy around amok, which is what we have now, um, Aristotle talks about you know the three good forms of government, um, which is uh, which is um, monarchy. Um, I know plutocracy. I think is what he said. Plutocracy, mm. and then the other one, it was it's like limited democracy. He might have said polity. Um, okay. And then the inverses are bad, right? Monarchy run amok is despotism, plutocracy, or aristocracy, I'm sorry. Aristocracy run amok is plutocracy, and um, polity run amok is democracy. And uh, America's a funny place because this is a, one of those rare countries where we have all three bad ones at the exact same time. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but but Charles, Charles did a column in, it's an old um, defunct um, online um, paper, Catholic paper called the Los Angeles Lay Catholic Mission. It's part of a okay. broader set of newspapers back in pretty much like, I know that they went farther, but the articles I have are from the 90s into the early 2000s, right? They had guys in San Francisco, they had guys in uh, San Diego and Los Angeles. And so his column was called the Roman Catholic, pun pun. And all he would do, they're, they're fun. All he would do is go to the different churches around oh. Los Angeles and just objectively tell what happened during the mass. What songs did they do? Yeah, the, the how was the homily? Was there coffee and donuts? Like, what did they do to the sanctuary? And he would get, he would get some people <laughs> who did, who really liked what he did, and others who he really didn't. Um, he tells the story of, <laughs> <laughs> he tells the story of where um, 
he went to he went to one mass and he thought it was a different place and it was it was a good mass and at the end he was like you know um father i um i um the father's like i don't know who you are and he's like yeah you know i'm not gonna write about you because this is fine and he's like oh yeah you're not talking about us but if you want to go across the street or you know wherever <laughs> <laughs> You gotta check oh, these wow. guys out. Yeah, so, Get a load wow. of this guy. Yeah, That's so, some good stuff right mm-hmm. there. Yeah, your mass nightmares <laughs> reminds me of that. That's why I love it so much. It's like just going through the mass. And sometimes you ruffle some feathers, which I like because like exposing improper liturgy, yeah. not just liturgy you don't like, but like liturgy that objectively is not by the rubrics, not by the glory of what the holy sacrifice yeah. of the mass should be. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I was saying. It's like, okay, if the Norvis order is it's it's here, I don't see us ever gonna go away away. But if they but if the if they're going to come down on traditional Latins, you know, for some weird reasons, then we should we should also take objective looks at are you even doing what the Norvis Ordo says you should be doing? Right. And, and so if you're not, you should you should have some you should have some critique as well. And so I, I do get I do get hate mail, you know, from these parishes. I got so much hate mail from one in Florida. I had to have Florida a whole response video about their about the you know, what they're saying to me. And so, but you know, if 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 you're if you're saying the black and doing the red, I, I can't be upset about that. I don't have to think your liturgy is you know beautiful or it really contributes to the mystery of what's going on there. The, the, um, but if you're at least saying the black and doing the red, what can I say? You know, <laughs> man. One of the things that bugged me the most when I was still going to the uh, the Nova Sordo was. Um, while I was at sacristan, I was really involved in the liturgy because that, that was a way for me to discern a vocation. So I was thinking, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to discern that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that killed me was um, in the in the germ, the general instruction yeah. um, that you use for your show, right? To, yeah. to grade them. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's instructions that allow you to pick whatever uh scripture you want there's a shortened version a longer version um <laughs> when it's a, a holy day you know you can pick these readings or this other set of readings yeah and i remember one time we were in a meeting for uh for planning the liturgy of uh, i think it was christmas yeah or oh yeah christmas is the genealogy so they typically they have the genealogy of jesus because mm-hmm. that's important right i mean when you think about it the, the genealogy being written down in scripture is to prove that Jesus is fulfilling the prophecies. This is the Messiah. He's here. He came into the world. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he took on the flesh. That's incredible. But I remember sitting at this meeting and the priest saying, yeah, I don't want to read this. It's boring. And that, you know, the, the general instruction gives you that ability to choose whether or not you want to read that particular reading or something else. So that always killed me a lot. Uh, I'm glad you're doing that video because you're right. We do, we do need to criticize uh, where, where criticism is due. And, yeah, uh, yeah. 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 I call I call those, I call those different options that they have um, in a religion. I call them, that's what I call them audibles, you know, in the football terms, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Oh, I was called an audible. Watch yeah. <laughs> man that, that's that's a major audible right there you decided to not read a genealogy now that, that yeah that's wow he caught an audible dude, yeah, that's, I, I love the reason and this is the thing you know it's for all again there, there's so many criticisms leveled at at the older rites that are undue because it's a you could tell it's a completely different eschatology right it's a completely different worldview if you recognize mm-hmm. that liturgy is not about us 
if it's not humanism, then it's then you don't like just say, oh, well, the mass is boring. It's like the priest isn't facing me. Well, the priest isn't talking to you. Like right. that sucks, you know. It's like it, we. It reminds me, like the the older rites really remind me of how much we are God's children. Because as children, what do we do? You know, we squabble, we fight, we pick and prod. We want to have it our way. But your dad has to come in and be like, "No, this is what yeah. the family's doing." And one day yeah. you'll be a man, my son, and you'll understand why we've done it this way. Um, yeah. And now it's like the thing about it is you expect at the new mass, you expect novelty. You know, the, the Reverend Novus Ordo is a yeah. unicorn. They may exist, but more often than not, like you're the mass in Florida. Um, that's not uncommon. That was a lot of little bits and pieces of my childhood right there. You know, wow. we were just lucky because we never had a priest that um, that changed out of his 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 clericals, you know, in the middle of mass. Um, one thing that I like to do in the age of COVID, this is beautiful because every church or many churches started live streaming their masses. And so, for instance, you did an episode recently where you talked about this is amazing. I highly recommend our audience go and watch your take on it because comparing uh, how a church in San Francisco, looking at you, St. Agnes, has uh, told Archbishop Cordleone that he can't come because he's not vaccinated. He's not yeah. welcome there. And uh, yeah. and how this is like this is the new slavery. This is the new <laughs> this is the new segregation. Yeah. I, I think it's such a brilliant take. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how that even happen i mean here is here's here's karen from the parish council right, right? of course she who, who 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 decide who looks like who looks exactly like you thought she's gonna look like and she <laughs> and she partners with her jesuit priest <laughs> to send their archbishop it's a right letter i mean dude you're talking about 500 years ago mm-hmm. i mean Corley only he's coming down here and he's putting people on the guillotine <laughs> how dare you yeah. tell a archbishop that he can't come to his parish, that's, that's basically his property. Yeah. And he's your, I mean, you're, 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 you're the sheep. I mean, I don't even know how this happened is, but it's, is I think it tracks well for San Francisco. Yeah. I, it's funny because so naturally whenever I, I hear something like that, right. My first inclination is I go on YouTube to watch their mass and I go find yeah, yeah. bulletin. You can find out yeah. everything you need uh, to know about a church by 10 minutes of its liturgy and two minutes of its bulletin. And yeah. this one in San Francisco is you. And so I sent the video to Rudy earlier and we're watching the 1030 third Sunday of Advent mm-hmm. mass. Mm-hmm. There are no children. No, there are no it's all just Otsigarians. Like pretty much Otsigarians. Yeah, that's just people yeah. in their 70s, 80s, 90s. That, that's it, it. I saw it, too. It, it, yeah. it breaks my heart because, you know, in in San Francisco and San Jose and Oakland and that part of the world right now, the Institute of Christ the King are celebrating mass in a uh, strip mall set to be torn down. Mm-hmm. And so I look at I look at the fact that, so Jen and I, we were up in San Jose, which is close to San Francisco, just 20 minutes down the road. We went to a mass up there at a Jesuit parish. Oh gosh, the stuff writes itself. And it was, it oh, was, man. it was, I, I could not, I did not know if the confirmation, which I was responsible for was valid. <laughs> That's how much, I mean, I was wow. like, and I was like, how do I like pull my cousin aside and be like, hey, yo, I don't know what we just saw. My poor wife, who is still, he's a little scandalized. And so we, on Pentecost Sunday, we were like, we have to go find the mass. And so we found, so we found it, but that's hey. the reality we're facing here. Oh man. That, yeah. That's, 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 yeah, that's, that's tough. Yeah. But I, I appreciate, you know, I appreciate how, um, you know, there are those who are, whose charism is to be very, very analytical 
and very, very critical in, in a very, very church militanty kind of way, right? I appreciate mm -hmm. your ability to laugh at things. I'm a huge, our charism on the channel is Resus at Bellum, right? Laughter and war, very Chesterton. <laughs> and so the best way to deal with bad liturgy, I've discovered, is you just kind of look at it and go, wow, this is ridiculous. Like, yeah. this, otherwise you'll cry. Otherwise you'll cry and you might burn down the yeah. place. And I think also, <laughs> I think, you know, peop, the people, I mean, we're dealing with, I think the, the priests in these these parishes, they, they do understand one thing, that the North Soto is lacking and that they're trying to make it better. They're trying to hook it up, put some hot sauce on it. I get it because intuitively they just know it's lacking mm. and they're going about it the wrong way to try to. And they know it's lacking because they've seen good liturgy. They've seen a traditional like mass at some point in time in life. They know what liturgy looks like and they know that this ain't it. And mm. so part of them is trying. This is why, this is why they're 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 doing something every different every every mass they're doing something tweaking something a little bit for they're doing they're doing something different because they know it's lacking they know and yeah. so this is why they do it but uh, the downside of the mass nightmare things we're going we're gonna pick them back up in, in january i got this one that you, people are just gonna like nobody knows this is going on i'm trying to hope i'm hoping nobody else exposes this before i expose it <laughs> i think it's one of the best kept secret worst kept secret no it's best kept secret but it's bad Oh, that's the um, worst kept secret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the worst, worst kept secret. Uh, yeah. So, but the bad thing about it is, I think in three instances, our mass nightmares, the parishes that we talked about, they stopped putting their mass in public. They stopped, they uh. shut down their YouTube. <laughs> this one parish put it behind locked bars. Now you have to have a login on their website to see it. Hilarious. So, um, but I think we've had some good successes too. Like that one in Florida, they stopped doing. They stopped doing a couple of things after I did two episodes on them. Um, they stopped doing all the blessings before mass was over. Um, they're still doing St. Michael's at the beginning, but they stopped. They stopped a couple. Oh, yeah. They stopped the children's mass. I think they stopped that. Oh, stop. And so this children's liturgy. Yeah. And so but um, so it, it does. I think in, in proud people, um, especially narcissists hate to be laughed at they hate to be marked that's the worst thing you can do to them you if you criticize a march protest they actually believe they're doing something right they actually they say oh i'm justified they're protesting and so a narcissist thinks they're justified by that but if you laugh at them you mock them can't stand it that's the worst thing you can do <laughs> and so that's why and that, that's another reason why the, the mass nightmares is, is it is like it is i'm just poking fun of these people and because um, I know it gets to proud nar narcissists. And that's what these people are, I think. Mm. Well, Archbishop Corleone is a subscriber of ours. And uh, Archbishop, if you're listening, just throw the book at these guys, man. Just shut them down, Jesuits. I, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Imagine if he was there. <laughs> well, Archbishop Corleone, God bless him. I mean, he's, he is a fighter, especially up in that part of the world. But, you know, on our channel, we, we especially nowadays, so many of our, our time is devoted to um, we, we had Nick Cavazos at the traditional Thomas on. He has a whole critique of the new mass, the deficiency, everything, a very, very theological approach. Um, Thomistic, uh, yeah. Yeah, very yeah, good, yeah. good Thomism. And what's funny is like, mm -hmm. um, we, we spend so much of our time, like we talk about the society of St. Pius X, right? We talk about boundaries, we talk about things. And the joke, the joke currently is that if Archbishop Codleone asked the society if he could go check out their mass, they'd be like, oh, my gosh, come on in. Yes, please come on yeah. in. Like, <laughs> we'll have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it's yeah. interesting. You can really tell that we're in the fight of our of our life, because um, even if one doesn't like their bishop, their bishop is still the heir of the apostles and and mm -hmm. and is and just like the Holy Father has there is a filial piety that we are owed to them. Right. 
even if we laugh at them a little bit, because some of them do like, yeah. you know, St. Saint Sabrina's or whatever in Chicago. I mean, that's Supich's territory. And that's not that's not yeah. a mass. And yet no, he's, and he's been there. He's, he's, he's been to yeah, one of those right. and it still wasn't a mass. Right. While he was there. If those for those who don't know, um, I, I might link it again too. I mean, this stuff is just so good. I'll link your mass nightmares to it. I mean, David puts out such bomb content. He keeps still he keeps taking all the best ideas. And so <laughs> I'm just playing, but uh this is a mass that is it is a a oh my gosh, it is a I guess you say a black Catholic church with yeah. a with a white priest. It's important to mm-hmm. say because he's of that is just the worst of enculturation. It is not, it's yeah. not the mass. And um, for anyone who's, again, a little traditional minded to just go, you know, the mass has a history where what is beautiful and holy to God, we shouldn't change. We shouldn't touch this. We right. should be very careful about how we change it. The fact that liturgy has been twisted and yet that's totally cool. That has the, the seal of approval from a, from a prince of the church. You, you know, you can't make this, this timeline up anymore. <laughs> this timeline up that's funny <laughs> yeah. we're in the worst variants. timeline that's funny yeah. before yeah. we let you go where is the best place for people to find you where, where do you want people to be navigated towards david l gray with an a dot info i think that's a jumping off point for everything i'm doing so just my name dot i n f o or you just type it into the youtube david l gray and it'll come up yeah. David has plenty of books too. He is an accomplished author besides just his commentary. You can also find him on Guadalupe radio. Um, what time do your show typically play? 4 PM central time on Wednesdays. Gotcha. Well, there you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm hanging out with radio people now. It's awesome. So we are, we Look, are, Ma, we're on the radio. Really? Like, we're on the radio. We are, we are so grateful for you to be on our audience. Please, please check out his stuff. Subscribe to his channel, listen to his things, buy his books. I don't know if you have t-shirts or swag. I don't care. <laughs> if you like this episode and we know that you did, please, the most important thing you can do for us is to pray for us. And also, we love to hear your stories. I know that we have a lot of converts. Maybe we have some Freemason converts. Maybe we have converts uh, who, who were also kind of thinking that their skin color is the most important thing and have now embraced kind of the fullness of of what tradition in Christ looks like. So comment down below, like, share this video. There are plenty of people who share them. We really appreciate you. If you want to also consider, we have a Patreon right there. A lot of really good goodies that helps keep the show running nice and smooth, helps us get wonderful guests like this gentleman before you. Uh, and of course, your prayers are most essential. So from us, God bless you and Mary keep you. We'll see you on the next one.